Hello, I'm Rebecca Castellino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Natalie King is a queer, interdisciplinary Anishinaabe artist, facilitator, and member of Temiskaming First Nation. King's arts practice ranges from video, painting, sculpture, and installation, as well as community engagement, curation, and arts administration. King is currently a programming coordinator at X-Base Cultural Centre in Toronto. Often involving portrayals of queer femmes, King's works are about embracing the ambiguity and multiplicities of identity within the Indigenous queer femme experience. King's practice operates from a firmly critical, anti-colonial, non-oppressive, and future-bound perspective, reclaiming the realities of lived lives through the frameworks of desire and survivance. Our conversation was recorded in Hamilton, within Treaty 3 territory, on the ancestral land of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations, under the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. Hi, Natalie. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good today. I feel like uh, pretty relaxed, pretty chill. Awesome. And uh, where are you right now? I am currently in my basement apartment in uh, Takaranto, the place that I've lived for the past almost six years. Um, And I am in this on this tiny little desk in this corner right beside my closet. Nice. (laughs) So I just wanted to ask you a bit about your background for for me and for for listeners um, and like how you got started as as an artist. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like my practice is sort of, well, I mean, I guess I could start at the beginning, which would be like childhood. Yeah. Um, as a kid, I was I was super drawn to the arts. I was super drawn to drawing and painting. Um, I always felt like the best times were always times where I was being creative. Um, and sort of, I've sort of chosen that direction for my life and sort of fully leaned into it. Um, and thankfully, my my parents have been super supportive of that. So, yeah, a little bit a little bit about my practice in in general. I guess I could go into that. Yeah, like, what did you start off making at, like, Georgian or um, even before that in, like, high school or as a kid? Oh, my God, I love that you know that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I went to uh, Georgian College uh, in Barrie, Ontario. Um, I did a fine arts advanced program there. And I did, I was there for about two years. The program's, like, two years. and the program was really awesome because it sort of gives you a taste of everything. So I got to take printmaking classes, sculpture classes, uh, painting and drawing. I did um, welding. Uh, I did a whole bunch of things. So it was really it was really great to get like a feel of all these different types of mediums that I could possibly use within my practice. Um, and I think that's why... Um, I've taken sort of a multidisciplinary um, lens to everything that I do just because there are so many ways of conveying um, the message that you want to achieve. And I think that um, having that background really helped me Um, back then. Like (laughs) I think most of the work that I was making during that time was fairly, I would say it was less about 
um, representing my culture and identity and more about, you know, doing these sort of like strange abstract uh, paintings. I didn't have any like figures in my work. Um, and yeah, it, I've, I've sort of, I've sort of, it, it's, it's, it, it's very interesting when people mention like early work. Cause I feel like all artists were always like <laughs> very like, nostalgic for early work but we're also sort of like cringe and yeah like... <laughs> so like the works at that time they weren't great but I think that I was like I think it's important to like remember those times and sort of hold space for like the journey and I think that that's sort of like I guess that would be like yeah the, the very beginnings of it yeah and also it shows how much you've grown as an artist and like how all that time and energy and like knowledge pays off in the end, you know, like looking at your work now versus then. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it, it really goes to show you like what, what really, what labor means and like Mm -hmm. what it means to put all of your, your energy and your, your experiences and the stories you have and the ideas that you have. And like looking back on work that I made, you know, as like the younger version of myself and thinking about like, you know, I don't know necessarily if I felt fully comfortable about making work about my identity or my communities because I was so, you're still figuring it out, right? Mm-hmm. And figuring out like who you are um, and you're exposed to all of these new materials and all of these things. Um, and the fact that like this process has been oh my gosh I don't even know like been making art for a long time now I mean not as long as some but I do feel like when I look at those early works I do see I do see a lot of what I bring um to my work now um in small ways definitely yeah I was wondering like stylistically is this like the figurative style that you're using right now is this something that's shown up in your earlier work or is this something that you've like just come into um, no, I, I was making some figurative work back then. I think mostly <clears throat> a lot of the things that I was exploring was like sort of visualizing like emotions and like colors and forms and shapes. Mm. And I think that was just me sort of entering, um, entering like the, I guess like art spaces in a way and yeah. sort of figuring out like what my voice really was in these spaces I also think for a lot of like uh, marginalized people we often like don't necessarily feel like there is that space and we want to feel like you know comfortable and cared for before we enter Mm -hmm. uh, making work specifically about identity um, or community so I mean that was sort of me like it's 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 cute to look back on um but yeah there is that cringe factor but there there were always sort of like there were always sort of hints of those figures and I remember I did I did a figurative piece um at Georgian really really early on and I remember feeling like there was something there was such a like magic to that work and it was it was sort of at a point where I I think I was talking to like um an instructor or something and we were speaking about like my work and sort of what I wanted to do in my art and I remember them being like you know I don't see this or like I don't see all of these amazing things that you're talking about within your work and then mm-hmm. and then in that I sort of made this 
figurative piece to sort of say, well, look, like <laughs> I can do this and I am, and I have the ability to like convey these things. Um, and that also takes time, like yeah. developing, developing a visual language around these sort of abstract ideas of like uh, queerness or indigeneity or um, space and belonging and um, care and land those things are so inherent to so much of my culture, mm-hmm. but also when you're within these institutions, it's not always like the first like welcoming thing, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. in a room with a bunch of like, like white cishet people, you're not, I'm, my instinct wasn't necessarily to make works about um, my culture because I, I felt very protective of it. So did your art practice change then when you went to OCAD? Like, was that a space you felt more comfortable, like putting your personal narrative forward? Or was it like an artistic shift when you got there? I think um, a big, I guess it wasn't necessarily about having um, the institution sort of be a place where I found that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was more or less um, coming of age and moving to Toronto, mm-hmm. which was a place where you know, I had, I had the ability to connect with more or less people like me. Um, and I had the ability to sort of uh, expand my ideas of like, how I wanted to portray these ideas or like, these um, ways of being into my practice. So yeah, I would say it was more or less like, finding my community in Toronto that really like brought this out. Yeah. And did you find your community right away or was it something that you had to like build towards? Oh my God. It was definitely, I think, I think it took some time. I mean, also I feel like OCAD is is interesting in a way because at Georgian there was, um, there was a lot of folks in the studio all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the studios were fairly like open and, you know, people would, would, Um, have class and then be in the studio for like you know hours after their class just like making work and like talking to each other and there was this really interesting like community Um, and I felt like it was a little bit different at OCAD I think like a lot of people that go to OCAD also commute there Mm. Um, anytime you move to like a different city too it it, always always takes some time yeah, no, I was just curious because I feel like I, like I kind of fell into the queer community, but it was definitely like such a process moving to Toronto and, and meeting all those people. Hmm. Oh my God. And like, at first you're just like, oh my God, everyone's so cool. And everyone's <laughs> so like, you know, and you, you want to make friends, but you're also like, uh, I, are you like, you know, and then you have conversations with people and then it just sparks these ideas of like belonging and like, you know, I, I grew up in a a place where there wasn't a lot of, I don't even know how many queer people, but there wasn't wasn't a lot of queer people. There wasn't, there there wasn't those chances to make those connections. So when I, when I came here, it it really was like a a awakening in a way for me. And yeah, I think that, I think overall, like out of my whole experience at OCAD, I think, um, I think the the people that I met there are, were the most valuable, what was the most valuable to my practice, I would say. Yeah. And you're still in communication with like the community that you built there, or do you find it just like grows after you graduate? <laughs> it, 
it's interesting. I feel like it, it, it grows. And I feel like also like, depending on, um, what space you're in, it's definitely, it's definitely constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, um, especially with COVID, I think it's been hard to be sort of isolated from everyone and sort of, um, sort of have to rethink the ways that we like experience community or we experience like reciprocity or we experience like connecting with each other. Um, I think for the past few months I've been like very isolated. I'm sure like everyone has. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been tricky. It's been hard. Yeah. I think especially if your making practice is so rooted in community, like I know for me, it's been, it's felt like I'm not even a part of the conversation. And, and the conversation that I have with my peers is such a big part of my thinking. And that informs, like, so much, you know? And even, like, being being separate from, like, family. Mm. And, like, it's been, like, me and my partner and my dog Aww. past, I don't know, almost a year now. Um, so it's sort of, like, going internal. Um, yeah. The, yeah. 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 Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was actually your external painting as a segue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I love your mural practice. And I just wanted to ask like how you got into it and how do you feel like working on that scale, but also working in such like a public way in like skate parks. um, How does your art change? It's so interesting. I think, um, there are a lot of like variables that come into play when you're making a mural. I think um, how I got into it, I got into it, I think the first one I did was 2018, I believe, or 2019. Um, and I I um, saw like so many of my peers, so many people that I admire and respect, like um, Kersha Wright and Monora and all these people making these amazing murals um, in the city. And, and I was thinking about like the ways in which my art practice could expand into like a more accessible um, way. And I think having my experience with like installation really like lends itself to mural making. Mm-hmm. Um, I think murals are, are quite different um, in terms of like, you know, it's very site specific depending on the site that you're given, you sort of work around that. Um, and it's really kind of, it's, it's interesting. It's like you're painting and then there's also like the elements. So it could start raining, you know, Mm -hmm. people are walking by, people are saying like, Oh, what's this? Like, and then you start to have conversations about the work, you know, um, I did a mural at the eighth street skate park last year. And it was interesting too, because (laughs) it's also like they had sectioned off like a, a a spot for me to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, there's still people using the parks. There's people like flying over you, like (laughs) as you're trying to paint, like, and I've got, I've got all of my paint and all my spray paint. And I'm just like in this little corner and there's still people flying by. There's like skateboards, you know, like hitting me in the leg. Oh my gosh. it's It's just, it's, it's very interesting. I think I tend to think about like, okay, what is this space? How is it, how is it being used? And like, how can I best like provide some form of joy to this spot? Um, so yeah, it, it's really fun. I love it. Um, I wish I could do more of it. 
That's, yeah. that's so cool. I, I didn't even think about how your installation practice like would relate to that, but that makes a lot of sense. And how you're describing it is making me think of your installation for Come Up To My Room a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how did, how did you approach that installation? Because it was so fun and like it was just like bright and like the perfect atmosphere for, for that. It was, yeah, it was great. I think, I mean, it was interesting too because I, I, you know, you usually start with this, one of the first things is like the site visit. So, you know, I went uh, to the Gladstone and I, I was shown the space that I'd been given, um, which was like a hallway and a little alcove, which was going to be like the, the, the area which my work was going to be in. And I was thinking about the, working through ideas of like material access and mm. um, the, the value that we place on like certain art materials over other materials. And I, and I like to work in um, very like highly accessible materials in terms of like, I was working in that at that time I was working in like foam core and I was making these sort of, I would say like for like, people listening they were like large like cutout figures sort of in terms of like you know when you go to the movie theater and you see like a cutout of like a, a superhero or something I sort of wanted to create that idea of like queer superheroes and I wanted to have them like floating within these hallways and the work primarily was about you know queer feminine identities that are like certainly like overlooked and invalidated in queer communities mm-hmm. uh, and sort of illuminating the existence of like this queer body and what does it mean to embrace femininity in all forms and sort of celebrate these ideas of like you know queer femme leaders mm-hmm. so that the that was sort of the that those works and it was really fun it was my first like experience in expanding my installation practice it's so it's so interesting too though because i felt like at that time I mean, before that, I was primarily working in painting. And then I was rethinking, like, how do I, again, it's like in terms of murals, in terms of um, installation. I think in my work, it's like, how do I command, how do I continuously like command the space um, without just having my work exist within this like, you know, rectangle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was that work. <laughs> and when you say command the space, like I immediately think of your use of color. And I just, mm-hmm. I want to know where that inspiration comes from and like how you develop that language. Because looking at your paintings, like you kind of see this pattern. You're like, oh yes, like these neons are here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I think this is uh, really interesting that you bring that up too, because I feel, I feel like a lot of people sort of mentioned the use of color in my practice and I think it's because it's something that obviously like stands out Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it a lot of it comes from camp Um, a lot of it comes from ideas of early 2000s culture a lot of it comes from celebrations of like adornment celebrations of taking up space I think to me it's a lot about conveying like a sense of like a femininity that is rooted in anger but also rooted in love if that makes any sense (laughs) yeah I totally like they these colors are very like aggressive but they're so beautiful and like feminine in a way like I don't know why neon yellow is feminine but it is (laughs) and and it's also 
you know, it's also masculine, like, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, it's interesting when we think about like, again, like gender and color and gender in like fashion and ways of like self-presentation. I feel like the sort of like everything goes ideas. I love, um, mm-hmm. I love, I love the idea of like framing something through like camp or queerness and like sort of turning the dial up a little, a little bit just to sort of have an idea of like this hybridity and like multiplicity of like queer femme aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This week's podcast recommendation is Sandia Norris Politics Podcast. Episode 134, Canadian Media Whites Again. In this episode, Sandy and Nora talk about CBC Winnipeg, rabble, black writers being ignored for wanting to write about the far right, Passage's media relations list, and how white supremacy is maintained inside Canadian newsrooms. But do you want to talk a bit about like your own personal styling and like, because you, I feel like you are like embodying this kind of like camp, but also like taking up space with like your earrings and your makeup and your outfits. And, and it is very like queer and like of this moment. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was always, like, super drawn to, like, things that were very, like, over the top and Mm. growing up, like, watching, like, cartoons and, like, having ideas about seeing queerness maybe in places where we didn't have the opportunity to see it. So sort of, like, making it for yourself. I think it's really about, like, pleasure and, like, feeling good and not necessarily having a style or a presence that's rooted in anything else but like fun, vivacity, desire, survival, all of these things sort of come to mind, especially as like a queer indigenous person. I think about a lot of regalia is about representing the place that you're from and representing who you are. And to me, especially like now, I think about the denial of like commodification and the denial of being a certain type of feminine, uh, Mm -hmm. being painted as a certain type of feminine person. Yeah. Well, what does that mean to me? What does that look like in terms of how I see myself and how I see myself is just sort of like this nebulous blob um, (laughs) and this like fleshy blob that, but how am I going to adorn this like fleshy blob? Well, (laughs) I want, I want, I, today I feel like I want to wear, you know, fringe and I want to have uh, makeup that looks like the greenness of like the like you know like just thinking about mm-hmm, I don't yeah. know if this is making any sense it's such an abstract it like, is <laughs> no I think like you're very much summarizing like I it's hard for me to explain to people why I want tattoos but it is very much a signal to people like this is where I'm from and like this is where I'm coming from yeah our bodies tell a story right um yeah and I think that I think the way that we adorn our bodies and the way that we the way the things that we put on our bodies say more about us what's physically there I think how we decide how that's going to be seen is in in many ways just as important I think both things are just as important (laughs) not one or the other but I think like that idea of like self-invention is always super super prevalent um to me um and also within my work and I I'm glad that that comes across yeah 
Yeah, no, I think, yeah, self-invention and, like, world-making, um, that feels very feminine to me. And maybe because femininity is a bit more fluid than masculinity right now, like, hopefully that will change. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it does feel very, like, freeing to be feminine and, like, dress however you feel that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's interesting, too, these conversations about, like, gender and how we present ourselves is just as much about like performance and I think in a lot of like art practices in terms of like painting or installation work that I've done it's also about like framing freedom and like introspection and like self-styling in a way that we see like our relationships or our power dynamics or Mm. about existing outside of you know these cis heteronormative ways of thinking yeah. It's a little bit more about like, who am I? How do I see gender? What does it mean to me? How am I self actualizing in the way that I want to for myself? So I think that's where a lot of those, um, my fashions, my <laughs> fashions come from. Nice. <laughs> and in terms of like your curatorial and also art admin practice, how does that factor into your view of yourself as like a community member, but also yourself as an artist? Like, does that change your practice or? or make things um easier or more difficult? I actually I I always talk about like Philip and I, Philip Ocampo, who's also a programming coordinator at X Space, we have the we have the same job, so we have a lot of um we have a lot of conversations together about these sort of things. And I think I don't necessarily see the the arts admin things that I do as something that exists you know, outside of my practice. I think it very much exists within my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being like a support person in that role. And, you know, I find it, it's interesting. I think um, when you're working in a position or if you're working within an institution or you're doing something, I feel like there's often this like pressure to have the all the answers or mm-hmm. at least have like the right answers. And as somebody who's been in this role for like, let's say like a year and a half, I'm still learning and I'm still looking for those. So you're often called to be a mentor mm-hmm. when you also are looking for one. Do you know what I, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing. I feel like I'm constantly learning. I feel like I'm constantly learning from the people that we collaborate with. I'm constantly learning in terms of like the, the pandemic and how to switch my brain into like um, site specific mode into like virtual mode, Mm -hmm. um, which is like a huge learning curve. Um, But I think that this experience has really, really bonded us in a way. And I think that like, I mean, I I always see X space as like the mom and pop shop of like (laughs) artist run centers. And I think it's true. Like, you know, we take what we have and we make the most of it. And I think that having this amazing um community also is you know everyone's so awesome and I feel super lucky so yeah it it, I see it as sort of an extension of that It, it, it sort of exists within my art practice if that makes any sense yeah do you want to maybe like expand on that a little bit like how do you feel it it impacts you as as an artist like being in the community as a support role I mean I feel I feel a great sense of responsibility I feel a great sense of uh, pride when I see other people doing really well and I see folks that we've 
like shown with. I feel like sharing resources every day, um, connecting with people. This is all, these are all things that go into my practice as like an artist. And I think if, if my practice as an artist is about being critical, um, about being equity oriented, not oppressive, future bound, then the ways that I operate within my job, within my role also have to be those things. But also keeping in mind, like at the end of the day, it is, it is a job, you know? So, so also having that like separation or those boundaries between like the personal and the professional are also important. But I also think like, it's so hard not to, right? (laughs) And also so much about art and like making and sharing is about like personal experiences too. (laughs) I think especially after like once the art world some of the art world rejected like universal singular narratives all of a sudden everybody got to speak and it and it just so there's so much energy behind it but also I want to talk to you about your upcoming exhibition and what that's going to look like and and what you've been doing to prepare for it yeah um yeah it's it's super exciting I have um I have my first solo exhibition it's happening at Hearth Garage. Um, the title is uh, Remembering and Reimagining the Joyous Star Peoples of Turtle Island. I started making this work, I think um, it was a, maybe around November, December mm-hmm. of 20. Um, you know, working Tuesday to Saturday at X Space and then Sunday and Mondays making work in the studio. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I haven't really had any time off. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like I, I think I get this from my dad. We're very, um, we tend to put all our energies into our work. And in many ways that is like so amazing and positive. And in other ways it's like, you know, maybe I need to learn how to take a break. <laughs> Definitely won't be after this, but the project is, um, is addressing joy, love, um, power, reclamation, and um, the reimagining of Anishinaabeg futures. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about stories of uh, the stars and the practice of oral, oral uh, storytelling within Anishinaabeg ideas. And I'm thinking about like visualizing this sort of ancestor to ancestor conversation that exists beyond like the current physical space the current physical plane. Um, so it's really, I think at the heart of it, um, I'm exploring urban indigenous identity and I'm imagining these stories as painting or as thoughts and futures and sort of addressing or challenging these sort of maybe monolithic or like stereotypical ideas or understandings of indigeneity, especially within the context of like the consumption of queer indigenous trauma mm-hmm. um sort of taking these signifiers of urban indigenous indigenous identity and expanding on time space belonging um reverence and sort of thinking about how do we transform our relations and the things that we all as like agents of colonialism partake in So like intervening at the level of governmentality, inviting viewers to like entangle themselves in the project of colonialism um, through a queer lens that is focused on like pride, joy, anger, and sort of, I think, I think world building would be the word that I've been, that's been sort of floating around in my head. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
It opens on the 19th, so in a few weeks. I'm really excited. <laughs> it's like still kind of um, have those like nerves where like the buildup of a show and you're just like alone making this these works for so long and then you finally have a chance to show them and you're a little scared, a little excited, you know, like all those feelings. Yeah, it's like your kid's first day of daycare or something, like you want them to yes. do well. <laughs> oh my God, it, that is exactly the feeling. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have a child and I've never taken a uh, child to daycare, but I'm assuming that's <laughs> what you feel like. <laughs> yeah, I always refer to like my art in kind of like a very well in a very maternal way not kind of um like oh I'm gestating oh I've given birth to this artwork and now it's like going out into the real world leaving the nest yes yes and the idea of of um mothering or uh taking care of uh these uh these ideas or being protective of these ideas and like these objects um yeah like just saying yeah bringing things into um like I, I feel like I've watched my artworks grow up as I'm working on them. Like I know what they're gonna I kinda understand what it's gonna be, but it's always like a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean like even in the beginning, like you I think it's interesting. I always start off with a very like broad sense of what I wanna do. Mm-hmm. And I think because I I think the beginning is always so interesting because there's so many ways in which like a project can go. And I think I think once you narrow it down and really get to like the heart of it, I feel like that's where I get really excited. When I start to see these sort of very abstract thoughts and ideas being expressed in this, the form um, which this show is primarily painting. So it's really exciting. I mean, and it's something like, sort of like I was saying earlier, I mean, it takes a long time to like come to like a, uh, an idea of your specific, um, your specific vantage point, but also your specific visual language. And like, how do we, how do we tell stories? I mean, mostly like in my culture, um, you know, all of our, all of our stories are oral. And every time that someone tells a story or any time an elder tells you a story, it's consistently changing. Mm -hmm. So each time the story is told, it's, it's changing. And even thinking about like thoughts of like, looking at the past you know when we look up at the stars we're looking at the past mm-hmm. but we're all looking at the present and what does it mean as an indigenous person to look at the past and think about the future in the context of like recreating it for yourself or like taking these taking these traditions taking these these knowledges and sort of framing it in terms of like joy so yeah i i think I don't know where I was going with that, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think that's what the work is about. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I noticed looking at your artworks that you've already posted and that you have on your website, like you were doing these figures, you were doing these solo figures that like took up the whole canvas and, and really had presence. But now um, I'm starting to see like more figures on top of each other and you see like lots of people existing together, like what kind of attitude is your is your show taking on now? Is it a lot of paintings of groups of people? Or are you doing like portraits? Um, what's what's the feel? The feel that's a great question. <laughs> um, there there are I would say a lot of the pieces have sort of this overarching idea of like being held or being mm. uh, moving through space and like time. So 
some of the figures are sort of more or less floating in space and then some of them are floating in space together. I have this these these larger scale paintings that are on um unstretched canvas that I'm also going to be like hanging from the ceiling. So a lot of them are they're fairly large. I think one of them is like 12 feet um but like very narrow as well. And yeah, I I think I think for me it's it's been an interesting process because so much of the work is about space and belonging and these sort of unspoken languages that when you're making them alone it's it's interesting it, it's it's really relying on like what you've learned and like what's already in like within you mm-hmm. and like bringing that forward yeah Yeah, I think it's really beautiful that you're making works about like being held in this moment where being held is something that is not only like very risky, but like, it's just something that a lot of people are not experiencing right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't even imagine. It's difficult. I mean, I'm lucky that I have a partner here with me. I've got a dog and I can cuddle (laughs) her whenever I want. Um, Roxy. But I think... And and even talking about, you know, ideas of, like, connection and ideas of, like, you know, being together as, like, thinking, uh, thinking through, like, okay, you know, a lot of Anishinaabeg ideas of, like, self are so tied to, like, re- relationality mm. and other folks and um, being separate and working through those ideas. Um I found was an like an interesting challenge. I mean, hopefully there's there's some space and some time where like I'm not sure what's happening right now. I know we have like another lockdown. I don't know how <laughs> how you're feeling about that. Um yeah, it it's 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 definitely like a cerebral experience. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about to to wrap up? Maybe. Yes. Um, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of um, course. And, uh, I really enjoyed our convo. Um, and wishing you the best of luck towards the end of your time at OCAD. Oh my gosh, yeah. Genius. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just want to say thank you. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing it. Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist that you would like to be interviewed, would like to correct and or fact check a past episode, or would just like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at Hopping the Fence or by email at Rebecca E. Casolino at gmail.com. Thanks to the OCAD Student Union for your financial support. And thank you to all of our patrons for your ongoing support. It truly does help me avoid burnout and keeps this podcast rolling. If you would like to support Hopping the Fence, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Audio editing for Hopping the Fence by Emily Reimer. Original artwork by Alex Gregory. And original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.